0: Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Stephen Kiesling, is a former Olympic rower, The author of The Shell Game and Walking the Plank, and co-creator of Nike's Cross-Training System. More importantly, for those of us who work at or subscribe to Spirituality and Health Magazine, Steve is editor-in-chief of the magazine. His essay, The Source of the Declaration of Independence, appears in the March-April 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Steve Kiesling, welcome to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks, Rami. It's great to be back. Yes, we have done this before. Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of the whack-a-mole editor. And this is my third time as editor. And third time. You just can't keep a job. What is your problem? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> <If you're> I'm <laughs> learning something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, go. well, it's nice to have you back. So, I did. that's a good way to start. i've I've got two goals regarding this interview. I want to talk to you about your your essay, and and I will do that first. But I also want to talk to you about your sense of of spirituality at Health magazine, where it's been, where is it going, and even more generally, where you think spirituality in the United States, where American spirituality is going. So I want to leave time for that as well. But, Let's start with your essay, The Source of the Declaration of Independence. You know, I thought I knew a lot about this, but you start out with this, introducing me to this book that I never heard of before. It's David Graeber and David Wengrow, and the book is The Dawn of Everything, A New History of, hum- of Humanity. And in the book, they demonstrate that the origins of the founding ideals of the United States came not so much from Europe, but from the indigenous peoples of North America. And the one that really blew me away, and I want you to talk about this, is the idea of how Thomas Jefferson took took this indigenous obligation to feed people and turned it into what he wrote as the inalienable right to life in the Declaration of Independence. So, I, I mean, when I read that, I thought, wow, something was lost in translation. How did you get this, this obligation to feed people and turn it into this right to life and then end up with a country in which, I think the number is we have 34 million people, 9 million of whom are kids, who live in, you know, with food insecurity. What happened? So tell us that story.
2: Okay. Well, everybody should read The Dawn of Everything. It's just, it's a brilliant book. And basically making the point that for the last 10,000 years, there have been people having the same conversations we're having now. I mean, bright, bright people, big brains, creative, and creating all kinds of different cultures worldwide. And so the the traditional idea of how civilization developed is all wrong. It's a 600 page book anyway. But then the first 100 pages is about is about the American idea of freedom and where that came from. And it's a hundred pages making this argument that that Europe was feudal. I mean, everybody in the in the room knew where he or she stood and that, you know, the king knew and the, everybody down the line. And then they came to America and the Native Americans just thought they were crazy that, you know, how could people live like that? And especially How could they let people starve? Which the among you know sort of it was a across the the continent there was a kind of understanding that you didn't let people starve. I mean, you had mortal enemies maybe that you would you would kill, but if somebody showed up, you'd feed them, and and that was universal, and and that you know and some other things I think are the root of the Declaration of Independence, which is kind of jarring, but I, I think it's absolutely true. But how did he lose that, though? I mean, so so
1: in the Declaration, I don't, I mean, I looked at it. I don't get any sense from the Declaration that you, you shouldn't let people starve. Well, it's There's just nothing. There's sort of a right? Basic, basic right to life. I mean, that's, that, what is... Well, you, you have a right not to starve. I don't have an obligation to see that you don't starve. Right? Isn't that, am I misreading it? I mean, that's that's how the country seems to run, is, yeah, don't, you know, Steve, you shouldn't starve. but Hey, I don't have to feed you. That's
2: that's socialism, Steve. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and, you know, and the thing is, I think, that,
2: you know, for example, in my own life, we, uh, I wrote the Nike cross training system back in a co wrote it in 1980, I don't know, whatever it was. And it was very complicated. And what the Nike, you know, it's basically looking at all the sports and how they fit with your body. And then, at a, you know, we put out this very complex system for how to train. And that went to Wyden and Kennedy. And, and the geniuses there looked at it and said, This, you know, this isn't gonna work as a marketing platform. So what about just do it? And that's essentially where, you know, just do it came from. But and I, I think that that's ultimately what happened with the native obligation to feed became a, a marketing strategy for a new nation, which was very powerful, which is the right to life.
1: Well, I mean it's it's really fascinating. But it's all I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know. Maybe I'm just in a very dark mood, but it seems also very depressing that, that what we got, because what I'm hearing from the indigenous side is obligation. And what I'm hearing from the the European side is, you know, rights without obligation.
2: That's exactly, uh, you know, that's exactly true. I mean, I think that's, that's why it's so powerful. It is marketing. It's saying it's taking an obligation to feed people, to look out for people and turning it into a right and that's uh, and and one of them spreads faster but i think it, but yeah. they, they have the same root and, and the reason I, I came to that is literally the root is and this is a story that's been in spirituality and health now for almost decades in it was 2007 that we grandma, grandma agnes baker pilgrim who was the oldest living to Kelma indian i live on the rope river and she came to my house looking for this thing called the story chair, which was the centerpiece of a salmon ceremony that's thousands of years old. And anyway, just by strange coincidence, I mean, I happen to be living right here. I kayaked in here and there's a big rapid and at the base of the falls is this stone chair. And that was the seat of this thing where the elder of the would would manage the fishery, kind of decide when to catch the first fish. And anyway, the the story goes back to the beginning of Tuchelma time when the great dragonfly flew upstream because there were bodies floating downstream and people were killing each other over the salmon, which was their principal food. And so he came and said, hey, from now on, you don't use spears, you use nets to catch them and you, you divide them among all the people and you return the, the bones and stand to the bottom of the river. Anyway, it's this carefully documented story passed down for hundreds of generations. And we happened to find it in 2007. And, and then we got Grandma Aggie back to, the, back to the seat at the base of this waterfall in, t- in 2012, I mm-hmm. guess. The and then it was only in reading Graeber's book that it realized, wait a second, this is, this is really a big deal. If the ideals of American freedom came from Native Americans and and Windrow's talking about the Iroquois tradition, which is a thousand years old. Well, we've got we've got graves down down here, stream that were four thousand years old, and a ceremony that's as old as the kiln of time. And it's all about this obligation to feed, and which I think is it turns into the right to life. And then you have you have other ceremonies here. You have vision quests where the idea is, you go out and you you know you go out to a place like Crater Lake and you sit by yourself. And, and, the, you know, and nature tells you, uh, you find your place, find your calling, find your mission, which is basically, you know, personal liberty, which didn't exist in Europe at that time. Nobody got to find their own story, not even the king. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the pursuit of happiness, which was, you know, I think goes back to these rituals that were, like there was a 10-day feather ritual here that you know, people would prepare for months, but it was idea of community, community, happy, happiness. And, and we turned that all into, you know, it, we turned it into, we went from a communal, communal obligations to personal rights. And that it was just pure marketing, genius, but, yeah, you know,
1: but, eventually it's sort of, it's marketing to our baser instincts. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not marketing to our higher
2: angels. It's, it's marketing to our demons. uh, You know, and what happened is, you know, the people, the people lived here, you know, when, when these bodies were just, when the, these graves were excavated in the thirties, you know, there were, they found, you know, continuous, you know, people here for over thousands of years, I guess. And not much happened, you know, they were, you know, 500 years ago that they had the same thing as, you know, 4,000 years ago. And they were like, oh my gosh, these poor people, they didn't, they didn't make any progress but the other side of that is this is an incredibly beautiful place to live and they lived very well and didn't screw it up and in the 150 160 years since you know we've taken over and killed everybody there's no fish in the river that's just you know, it's, and everything else so so it's it's just it's a, it's a very it, for me it was very jarring to go wow the story that i grew up with about native americans is completely wrong it, it was told by people who, who were exterminated, the people who were here.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that's, the, yeah, it, the, the history is written by the, the victors. Well, so, yeah, that, that's what happens. Well, I, know, I, take, taking this sort of out of context, because uh-huh. I'm reading about, you know, Grandma A- Aggie and, and this story chair, and I started to think about how important story is and how important, uh, it, it, I mean, this is going to sound a little weird. And how how amazing it would be if we had a cabinet post, you know, in the government, I don't know what you call it, but, you know, the secretary of the story, you what? know, <laughs> like, like we have the Nobel, the, the what is it, the Nobel laure- the poet laureate, so that we would have the story laureate. And it would be the person that's the the keeper of the story telling the story and and I don't the the problem is what's the story we we can't agree any longer on a national story for the united states and and I don't know if there is one because we have a lot of myths right and that's what you've been talking about we've got the myth that we grew up with of you know the european origin and 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 all of that and then the story turns out to be so different we've got the myth of the the you know, the, the right to life and the story turns out to be the obligation to feed. So, you, so we can't even agree as to what the story is. I wonder what you think can happen or is happening to a people or a nation that
2: can't even agree on its story. I think the good news is that the story is changing. You know, the Jefferson, you know, what happened actually, it goes back to, the, Grandma Aggie was mad at the Pope from 1493 for, Essentially setting genocide in motion by um, saying, you know, that dividing the world in half and, and allowing people, the explorers, to go and kill people who were there if they weren't Christian. Of course, they weren't. And then basically, Jefferson wrote the first laws that saying, you know, for a Euro- European American showing up in a, in a new land in the West, that's, that, that was discovery, the discovery doctrine. Anyway, in 2007, the United Nations, you know, realized that this was all really wrong. And that was the Declaration of Rights for Indi- Indigenous. People. And then the United States signed on after a while and various churches have signed on. You know, we're seeing enormous progress. You know, it, the white male voice, this dominant voice is being crowded out by a lot of other voices than it should be. It's time. It's way past time. Well, you're, you're, but you are optimistic. I mean, that's. Yeah. So I mean, I, you know, we have gotten to the you know edge of midnight on the doomsday clock. Yeah, ninety seconds to midnight. Yeah, ninety seconds, and we're bouncing around there. And and one of the stories in the March-April issue is about that, and sort of our freedom to believe everything, I mean, anything we want. I mean, that's sort of wonderful, but it's also it's terrifying because when people can believe anything they want, then you get all kinds of craziness, which is what we're dealing with right now. But at the same time there are so many more voices coming in. And a story like, you know, a story like this is now possible to write. I mean, thanks to, you know, the dawn of everything and that research, which was based on the last 30 years of archeology span and anthropology, it we're waking up to a very different story of humanity that's really important. Wow. Well, I, I hope
1: you're right. I mean, I, I certainly hope you're right. I, I mean, maybe it's because where I live, you know, it's not the story that, that I hear. I mean, we're fighting, you know, in the South, not, I mean, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but, you know, in places like Florida and here in Tennessee, I mean, we're trying to make sure that the only story that gets told is the story, you know, of the lost cause of the Confederacy and the South will rise again. And we don't want to hear about slavery and we don't want to know any of these things that are, you know, that that in any way disparage the white male and you know in my town we've got the Confederate soldier statue that's just praising you know the heroism of the enslaver. So it's you know, I'm sure it's different in other places, but here the the story that needs to be told and the story that is you know that you're talking about in the dawn of everything and in, and in your your article the source of the Declaration of Independence. I mean that story, isn't being told here. And there's a concerted effort to make sure it's never told here.
2: You know, when this when this thing comes out, the piece is pretty audacious. I mean, you know, to be able to say, hey, here's this stone seat. I mean, I can it's I can practically see it from here. It's you know, it's just. It's at the downstream edge of my property and I can walk down there and, Mm -hmm. you know, but that seat, as simple as it is, I mean, there's no doubt, that, there's no doubt about the story. I mean, it was recorded in 1906 on wax, you know, on that wax recordings by a, a woman who was in it in the 1840s and fought in the in wars and all. And the, the documentation is very clear. And the documented history is really devastating if you're a, a white person to read. Is it what happened here and what happened in a lot of places is really horrible. But to the extent that, you know, we can't fix any of it. But at least acknowledging it opens up so much. And I, and I think that's one of the, the good things about the Native American situation is that it, especially here in Oregon, there is nobody who's arguing that it isn't true. I mean, the, the people called the miners called themselves exterminators and, and were proud of that. And so nobody can say it didn't happen. And that's important. Cause that creates an opening that the Confederacy and all that issue, you know, that, that doesn't.
1: Right. Which is maybe I'm stretching in search of a segue here, but it seems <laughs> to me that cause you, you know, this is this article as audacious as it may be appears in the, in the March or will appear in the March, April issue of Spirituality Health Magazine, which I see as a vehicle for new storytelling. Telling the story of of an emerging spirituality, so I know that that at spirituality and health we we have a definition of spirituality. You can see it on the website that we define spirituality as total aliveness. Now, Ben, you're going to have to define total aliveness, and that's always the challenge of using definitions with words. And you've got to keep defining them. I've got my own understanding of aliveness because that's one of the if we translate it into Hebrew it's one of the major terms from the Jewish mystical tradition that spirituality is all about aliveness which is one of the names of of the divine but in any case i, I get a sense that that the magazine is now i don't know if it always was but i'm going to ask you that <laughs> the magazine is a, a vehicle for this kind of storytelling giving us a new sense or giving us a sense of the, of the emerging spirituality. And, and I want to get your sense. Like you said, you've been in the, in the captain's chair three times. What, what's your sense about where it's been? I mean, we're going to celebrate, I guess, in the next issue, it'll be our 25th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just sort of look back, give us a sense of the history of it, where we've been, where we are, and, and where you think we're going.
0: Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: So what happened was early 90s, Trinity Church Wall Street, which is the Episcopal Church at the base of Wall Street, was turning 300. And they own a a big chunk of lower Manhattan. This church is older than the country. Alexander Hamilton is buried there and the chapel nearby is where George Washington had a pew. And this is a historic church right at the base of Wall Street. And they did a, a survey to ask what the nation wanted for their, you know, in honor of their 300th anniversary. And it came back spiritual development or spiritual growth. And and so the rector, Dan Matthews, decided to fund a magazine and he hired the guy, my mentor, who started Psychology Today and also a magazine called American Health. I was with T. George at American Health and we were at the Harvard Business Review together and we worked together for a long time. Anyway, it was, the idea was that there was this spiritual renaissance happening and that we were going to, we were going to track, it. just like psychology today, you know, uh, gave birth in some ways to the human potential movement. And then there was the, the great body awakening of the 80s. And, and we, you know, we really thought that the world was going to, going to become, we really were in a spiritual renaissance. And I think we were. And, and of course, we've, there's been a reaction that's been really discouraging since then, but these things, you know, these things come and go. Do, do you see the mission changing? Is it different now than it was then? Yeah, you know, uh, I think the, the part of what happens, you know, for me is, it's about the enthusiasm for the mission, you know, to keep digging and and see things change. I mean, 20 years ago, we had a, Anna First was a theologian working at the artificial intelligence lab at MIT. And she was you know, this was 20 years ago, and she was wondering about when, when we should baptize a robot. Because they were, you know, they were starting to make robots that people were interacting with. Because now we're dealing with, you know, this artificial intelligence that is, you know, fascinating and terrifying. But those questions are now, what, what she was talking about in the magazine 20 years ago are now front and center. And in fact, people are, are accessing her, her writings from back then. The
1: questions never end as far as, I don't mean questions from me for you, but I mean the questions regarding spirituality never end because the quest for spirituality or, you know, what we're calling at the magazine Total Aliveness never ends. So it can go in the direction of, you know, you can join a religion and find it there. You can join, you know, a, a, a contemplative community or just on your own through various Practices. You can do it through art, you can do it through music, you can do it through, you know, psychedelics. There's so many ways to to experiment with, explore the idea of total aliveness. So there's
2: no end to the questing. Yeah, and um, that's true. You know, I think one of the really important things and, and is that, well, for example, T. George had one of his uh, reporters at Psychology Day was Dan Goleman, who was the person who coined emotional intelligence, became very famous as a writer. And I was hired, I became another protege of T. George's later, but I was an Olympic athlete. And so it was kind of this, Dan and I worked on projects together where where we were in totally different spaces, where he was the mind guy and I was the body guy. And I think that split continues. And I think one of the things moving forward is your, your own just, Incredible knowledge of all of the contemplative practices, the mind practices. It's in a different space than some of the places that you know. The you know taking a grandma out to the storage chair, which is also a spiritual thing. And I think that's you know, that's part of the reason the magazine is still here because we're always in that in that tension of embodied practices and then this you know, sort of or disembodied intelligence and, 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 and
1: one one place that we're not going as far as I can tell maybe you could say oh wait there's an issue coming out and think and I'll be wrong but you know we occupy an unlabeled space and in, in the sense that we're not tricycle magazine we're not buddha dharma magazine we're not yoga we're not a yoga magazine we're not associated with any specific religious tradition and we don't have maybe once in a while though i can't think of any off the top of my head we don't have articles on brand name religions right we don't we don't do that our approach seems to be our our area of of concern our area of exploration seems to be the unlabeled mm-hmm. spirituality and not okay this is what the catholics are doing you can you can look at you know, Catholic magazines, American, or, you know, First Things magazine, or if you're an evangelical Christian, you can look at Christianity Today. We don't do that. We're looking at something, and I don't know if it's uniquely American, I don't think so, but uniquely postmodern maybe, or I, I don't know if I want to assign a label to it, so maybe we shouldn't, but it's, it's a different kind of space that I think, and then I'll let you have your two cents on it, a, a space that isn't labeled because it's moving beyond the traditional form, yeah, the traditional forms of religion into something that we're calling
2: spirituality. Yeah, I mean, the, the remarkable thing is that in, in an Episcopal Church funded this thing, and they did it not as a Christian magazine. It was an, as an effort to get, you know, how do we get people to get along? I think, in, in, and and to feel. Everybody has spiritual experiences, and then how do we make sense of them? And and, and then there's a, a lot of neuroscience going on. It's looking at these kinds of experiences. So what you know, my own sense is is just it's this ongoing exploration. You know, to find you know what in total aliveness. What's the best way to be alive? You know, in, in terms of you know happiness for oneself, but also for the you know for the communities, planet, the whole whole thing.
1: Well, let, let's take that as as the way to, to sort of move this back to where we started and, and to bring this conversation to a close because I'm cognizant of the time. So, you know, there's lots of ways to have, I don't know if you want to call it transcendent experiences or spiritual experiences. I'm, I'm a little leery about, I, I don't want a, an out of the body experience because I think <laughs> we need to have embodied spiritual yeah. experiences. We don't want to get rid of nature. I'm not interested in letting the planet go to hell and go with Elon Musk off to Mars. And that just doesn't interest me, though. I don't want to go with Elon anywhere <laughs> specifically, just <laughs> definitely not Mars. So so I wanted an Earth honoring spirituality, an embodied spirituality, which many religions, especially Western religions tend, or not, I shouldn't say that, which many religions, Eastern and Western, tend to resist. They are about transcending the physical. So that's not where the magazine is going at, at all, it seems to me. What about ethically? <clears throat> so we started talking about this indigenous notion for millennia, mm-hmm. of this obligation to feed one another, to see that no one starves and how it got trapped into this right to my life and that I shouldn't go hungry, but it didn't carry the obligation that I should feed someone else. The 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 emerging American spirituality, I'm suggesting, and I think you see it in the magazine, but I'm looking for your comment. The, the emerging spir- emerging American spirituality carries an intrinsic ethic that matches the indigenous ethic we were talking about before. That the more I move into this sense of total aliveness, I also feel this total obligation to other lives. To help them experience total aliveness, which means food and shelter and education and all these other things that that you know, we can say, oh, that's liberal, but but really that's that's really human, that the thriving of of, you know, all species becomes part of the obligation of one's spiritual, practice spiritual evolution. And it seems to me that the magazine embraces an ethic of interdependence and mutuality and that matches the, the indigenous stuff you were talking about from the very beginning. Do you see that that spirituality slash ethics being part of the magazine's mission?
2: Yeah, exactly. In fact, one when, when I when I started writing this this story about Grandma Aggie and the story chair and all that. It, the original thing was to was sort of ask, you know, can a white male become indigenous? And, and the fact is we are indigenous. We're all indigenous to the earth. And in connecting to the, the Native American stories, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Native American. I'm not trying to be. But getting to that understanding is really powerful. And that the sense of being connected to the earth, being connected to community, being it's so important. And and that is, I think, at the you know really at the core of the magazine is is how do we you know how do we get there? How do we become become more indigenous to the earth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is the only
1: hope. So so I'm going to push this a little bit further. So what you just said made me think of this. So yeah, I'm not Native American in the sense of being part of an indigenous tribe that's been living here for thousands of years my people are thousands of years old but they're not from this neighborhood but if you take a look at genesis the book of genesis <laughs> and if you're a, a jew or a christian i mean if there's a jew you can say well that's my book but as a christian you can also have you know you can claim it as part of your tradition the 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 opening chapters 1 and 2 of genesis give you these two very different understandings of who we are as human beings one of them is destroying us. And the other one is the only one that offers us hope. And it's the one we've been talking about. In Genesis 1, you get this notion, people are created after everything else. And we have no purpose. Everything is thriving. You know, it's on the sixth day of creation, everything is thriving. It's, we're sort of an afterthought. The God character says, let us create, you know, humans in our image after our likeness. And then, <laughs> out of thin air, you know, we're created and there's nothing for us to do. And so we're given the task to, you know, to, to dominate the world, you know, and and we're in charge. We're like middle management, but nothing needs to be managed. So we end up destroying things. In Genesis 2, it's a very different story. Nothing is growing in Genesis 2, And it says nothing's growing because two things required for growth are missing. One is water, and the other is a caretaker for nature. So the God character in that story causes a mist to come up from the ground, so everything becomes uh, watered, and then raises up this creature called in Hebrew, Adam. The earth is called Adamah. And the creature is called Adam. It's a play on words. So it's earthling Adam from Adama, the earth. So this being is made by the God figure from the earth. And then it's given this task to serve and protect. Mm -hmm. That's your job. In the first one, it's to control, to dominate, and basically, unfortunately, to abuse in the end. But in the second one, your job is to serve and protect. We've got thousands of years of Genesis 1 mindset. In the West, especially, and it's destroying us. What we need is to shift stories and tell the second story and to say, no, we are indigenous, like you said, to the earth. We're Adam from Adama. We're indigenous to the earth, and we're called to serve and protect. And that is a spiritual practice because in Hebrew, the word to serve also is the word we use to for worship. So somehow, Serving, the, serving nature, protecting nature, is an act of, of divine service. So we, make, we need to make this difference, this shift in story. And I get the sense that spirituality and health magazine is part of that shift making, moving from the Genesis 1 story to the Genesis 2 story. I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious, or if it's just part of the zeitgeist of our time and the people who who create the magazine, but I think we're part of something bigger than just selling a magazine. And I'm going to oh. give you the last word to tell me how brilliant that was <laughs> and how, you know, I've been here for, I don't know, what, 18 years? I'm not sure. But mm. but certainly you've, you've, you're you going to keep me around for another
2: 18. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, that's a lovely story. And and, I, and it's so, you know, I think it, it certainly rings true to me. I, one of the things you know, on, on my business card, one card I have is, is a quote from Grandma Aggie that says, human beings are not intruders. We are participants. And it's, it's you know, it's that same idea that we are. I mean, there is not a, there's not the wilderness and human beings. We are part of all of this. Our guest today, Stephen Kiesling, is editor in chief of
1: Spirituality and Health magazine. His essay, The Source of the Declaration of Independence, appears in the March April 2023 issue of the magazine. Steve, thanks for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you. It's been fun. Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano and our executive producer is Zach Avery. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health Magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality Health Magazine, we thank you for your support.